a Highline podcast. This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Anyway, I said to her, that's not the broccoli. That was the cauliflower you were forking up. <laughs> I, I like, you know how like some podcasts like start out their episodes with like stupid <sighs> banter that like is happening off mic and you like have no idea what they're talking about, but it, they just like, I don't know. That's what I was going for there. It didn't really work. Yeah. Did you hear my fake laugh? Yeah, I did. It was, it was wonderful. Thank you for, thank you for humoring <laughs> I was me. playing along. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Welcome my friends. Uh, I'm very curious uh, what you're drinking today. <laughs> I'm drinking a flathead cherry cider from Last Chance Cider Mill. Nice. Yes. That is a Billings classic right there. It is. I'm just happy I can drink again. Oh, absolutely. Did I ever tell you that me and some of my buddies thought about opening a brewery for a while and it was going to be like based around the the flathead cherry ale because no one in Montana makes it? Oh, interesting. I'll tell you about it sometime. Men's yes. Trail Ale. I'll, I'll tell you about it. Men's Trail Ale? What are you ale? drinking, Stephen? I am drinking from Jeremiah Johnson Brewing in Montana. Their Honey Weizen? Weizen? Weizen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just a, it's a delightful honey summer beer. It's a, a nice light. I love Hefeweizen, so if it, honey would be delightful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Josh, yourself. All right. So I just finished drinking a vanilla cappuccino from work uh, to reward myself because it is just a wonderful, light, rainy day here in Seattle. And it's just mm. lovely. And it's been like Aww. warm for weeks. And it's just like, mm, it feels so cozy now. Um, but I, <laughs> I need to like cool myself down That's because cute. I worked a shift uh, as a baker today. Which was super fun, um, but Josh that means I was like baker. working with like hot ovens, and I was like hot all morning, and then I drank a vanilla cappuccino. So now I'm drinking a limoncello Lacroix, and it is just like exactly what I need right now. It's wonderful. It's hitting the spot. Josh and the Lacroix. Yeah, I've missed it. Yeah, me too. Can I ask your opinion on the coconut Lacroix? I'm sorry, I <laughs> I, I just hallucinated. <laughs> what? I, I cannot believe you would even bring that up, Steven. Listen, I haven't tried it. I saw it at the store today. I chose not to buy it because it sounded bad to me because in general, I don't like coconut flavored anything. <sighs> I'm praying for your soul. So, I mean, I figured it was gross, but I just needed it confirmed by a, a, a man of your, your stature that stands LaCroix so hard. I bet mm. it wouldn't be bad as a mixer. Yes. Okay. I I can get behind that. But I'm not into it for uh, my regular consumption. Fair enough. Right on. Emily, I am so glad that you are finally back with us because 
not only have you been gone, but in some ways I feel like Steven and I have been gone <laughs> over the last two months. Aww. Like we have not had like a dedicated space as great as all of our guests were. And like we talked about many, many things that Steven and I could talk about for forever. But Steven and I have just been like accumulating like a list of other questions and topics that like we're currently thinking about. It's true. Yes. And oh, I'd love to get yes. your thoughts on as well. So this week it's me and I kind of can't decide <gasps> a between a couple. Up. So I think I want to do another toss up. Okay. Yes. All right. But it's only between yes. three of them. The first one on my list that I've had written down for a while that I've wanted to dive into is thoughts on the separation, but similarities between oppression and persecution and some okay. of the things there. The other one that I wrote down more recently was kind of piggybacking off of Kevin's episode, but the question of whether or not churches should utilize and or change with and because of technology. Oh. And then okay. um, the one I wrote down the most recently was around the question of whether or not faith should be reasonable. Oh my gosh, it just like progressed in like... <laughs> <laughs> Emily is just increasingly intrigued. So I think we should just roll a D3. What do you guys yeah. think? Yeah, go yes. for it. Because I can't decide. Okay. All right. Siri, roll a D3. Rolling. Three this time. Three. All right. Three it Reasonable is. Reasonable faith. Ooh. Um, have you guys ever heard of the organization Reasonable Faith? No. Oh, no, I have not. Really? Okay. Okay. Wow. I feel like it's rare that I get to teach either of you something, let alone both of you. Um, it's just like a classic apologetics organization. It's headed up by Dr. William Lane Craig, famous author, uh, apologist. We talked um, about from, this guy with uh, with Pops. Yeah, we did. Yeah, Pops was super into him for a while. Oh, yeah. Okay. Good old WLC uh, <laughs> or Dubulk, as the cool kids call him. Uh, he teaches out of Biola and then he's like a visiting professor or whatever at like a couple different other ones that are mm. big in that world. Um, he's written quite a few books on apologetics. Uh, a really common sort of dumbed down academic version is this book called On Guard. But he's also written like tons about Molinism. His like field of expertise is like God's relationship to time, which is like crazy to think about that that can be your like research expertise quote unquote <laughs> right but anyway his like whole organization is founded on the idea of displaying christianity as reasonable like we are christians because of the evidence question when you say reasonable are you speaking to something that is rational yes absolutely okay. that's the okay. so that's his argument is that like based off of like logic and reason and historicity and all of these things, that's what leads us to become Christians or on the flip side, like, cause he also has some really good like Q and A's on YouTube that I was really into for a long time. Like, especially right out of fresh out of ministry school and like jumping into college. Like I wanted to dig into like a lot of those deeper, like more philosophical questions about like, like where is God in relationship to time? Like what do we do with free will? And, such like some of those questions that are like really abstract and not easy to wrap your head around, let alone answer. Hmm. But I guess I do really like that. Even he admits that most people don't become Christians based off of an apologetics argument. 
Like you can give as many arguments that are soundproof as you want about God's existence, Jesus's existence, Jesus's truth claims, the resurrection accounts, etc. But at the end of the day, you still have to make some sort of faith jump, which Christians would call like you have to have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. to inspire you to believe. Yeah. So I like that he even has like the intellectual humility to admit that people usually aren't converted by arguments. And what he does is mostly for Christians or maybe like even people like questioning their faith or considering Christianity to like consider that there is like rational, logical, reasonable grounding in religion. Mm-hmm. So that's that. My thought as of late is. Like kind of along the same lines of the relationship between faith and agnosticism. There's a part of me that's thinking now, like, should faith inherently kind of be irreasonable? Mm. What do you guys think? I have to, I have to actually think on, to think on this. I think that the, the arena of the rational, I mean, my mind straight goes to Age of Enlightenment right? Like 1600s, 1700s, kind of when the world, at least the Western world, just tipped into orange in spiral dynamics, right? Like we were all about rationality and all about reason. And it's not lost on me that it takes an American evangelist like Wesley to put reason into a quadrilateral, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I, did, I forgot about the quadrilateral. Anyone who hasn't <laughs> listened to our episode on uh, the Wesleyan quadrilateral Please go listen to that because yeah. that is a fantastic yes. episode. But I completely forgot about that. <gasps> yeah. Like it's there. Yeah. It's there to some people, some people being Emily, like reason stands with it experience does. and tradition. And yeah. oh, the fourth one I'm forgetting for some reason. Scripture. Idiot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so reason is there, right? It's like it's, it is, it's part yeah. of the scales on which we like weigh everything. Yeah, that is true. And I think it's inevitable that I feel like you, Josh, as an American asking that question, I think you're very often only going to find pushback just because our entire paradigm is based on reason. So saying that Mm -hmm. faith ought Mm -hmm. to be or faith is inherently irrational is uh, kind of anathema to many people who have gone before us writing theological tomes, you know, cause I'm reading Francis Schaeffer right now with my dad and he was kind of mm. the, uh, the guy who was trying to speak into the, the late seventies, early eighties, essentially saying like, we are slipping further and further into postmodernism. We have problems agreeing what truth is. We're abandoning thesis, like the, just the concept of logical thesis and antithesis you know, he does a lot of talking about like the new theology that's starting to encroach into liberal theologians' minds, mm. which the subtext is not lost on me that he's basically talking about people like who Richard Rohr is. <laughs> so, like, I read Schaefer sure. and I'm like, oh, <laughs> he's talking about my guys. <laughs> <Oof>. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that was kind of his whole thing, too. And like the the place in which we're, we find ourselves embedded in, like it's in our intro, we talk about being coming from different parts of American Christianity and like it or not, the three of us stand in American Christianity still. And, uh, oof. Yeah. Reason and rationality is like core to our Western mind. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. 
I would add that having faith, how do I want to say this? I think faith is definitely like compatible with being rational. And I think having faith is beneficial in order to have like a true belief because it involves us or I guess it pushes us to consider those sources of information that extend beyond like our immediate capacities. Um, And I'm just thinking of like how when we go beyond like our five senses, like we're having faith, like our senses are reasonable to a certain extent, um, but faith can kind of go beyond that. And so we're not completely disregarding those things around us and our senses to try, you know, to to guide us and and things of that nature. But I think they I think they go hand in hand. They're complementary. They're compatible with one another. Yeah, I think they're compatible. And like, I can really respect people who want to dig into the truth claims of what they believe, like whether you're Mormon or a Buddhist or Christian or like whatever, like if you're going to believe something about history specifically or like the where your religion came from, I can really respect someone who like wants to dig into the rationality of things. But in some ways, I like I think that like science is obviously completely rational. Like we could talk about Age of Enlightenment and like the birth of like modern science for a long time. Like they're absolutely linked together. But like religion is not science. Mm-hmm. Like and we kind of talked to like on Marv's episode about like the relationship between religion and science and how much overlap and nuance there is there. But like at the end of the day, like I don't think religion is science, even though I don't think they're not compatible. Mm, okay. Yeah. So that, I think that's like one of the things that like leads me to think you can involve rationale and reason. And of course, consider like what cognitive biases you may have there, like whether it's hindsight bias towards a belief or something of that nature. But I think at the end of the day, like if you're going to have faith in something and if faith means hoping for what we do not see, there has to be some sort of like jump beyond reason. Yeah. I wonder if the insistence on reason is, man, I guess the church, you know, capital C church following along as culture grows into the age of reason and rationality. You know, like if it was just, I don't, maybe, was it just the church being like, oh gosh, we need to be able to speak with these people who are measuring like very specific things in chemistry and biology and astronomy and all this. Like we need to be able to speak on their level. So we like just adopt Mm. the paradigm, right. And kind of leave. Mm. I don't know if that's leaving behind some form of mysticism that ought to come back. Like, do you think like mysticism and irrationality are at least close to synonymous? Because that's what it sounds like you're trying to say, Josh. Yeah, I guess so. But I mean, kind of going back to the quadrilateral, like if mysticism is mostly like shifting the focal point of your spirituality to mostly experience, I don't think that experience always has to be like irrational or irreasonable. Mm, Irreasonable? mm -hmm. Is that a word? Unreasonable? Unreasonable. Like experience is just kind of like, is kind of, I think, just like mostly subjective and is what it is. Hmm. And maybe there's like a certain lack of rationale sometimes when you like look back at your own experience and you're like, why did things go the way that they did? But otherwise, I don't really see experience as like without reason. 
Sure. Yeah, I appreciate that. Isn't it interesting how like just even okay, so mentioning the Westry the Wesleyan quadrilateral, that you could take one of those elements away and it would still be like sturdy or foundational. Would reason or experience be the element that you would take away? Mm, what you've described is what Richard Rohr calls his tricycle. <laughs> I'll put that on your bingo card. Which is experience is the front wheel and scripture and tradition being the back wheels. Oh, oh I forgot about that too. But do, yeah. you, but do you agree with that? I, you know, I'm not sure anymore. Because I, I, I personally like a, a dose of reason in here, right. you know, like it's just kind of how my brain operates. Even if I'm going to argue theology, which is like a step beyond mere philosophy, right? Right. Yeah. I still treat the Bible with a rational mind in order to form. I mean, like as uh, stereotypical as it is, like growing up evangelical, I was handed like the systematic theology of Wayne Grudem and just the fact that things can be handled systematically. And like, if this is true, then this is true. Like those are all Mm -hmm. rational and logical ways of building your belief. Sure. That's just what I've been trained to do. So like, I like reason in there is what I'm describing. I totally forgot about the tricycle thing. Am I just describing Richard Rohr's tricycle? Like where reason isn't even like considered a, primary function of faith? I would say, yeah. Maybe. Huh. What's the justification? And I honestly don't know how Richard Rohr would say it. So what what do we think the justification is to tell Wesley, like, John, you're wrong. Reason doesn't belong here in the arena of faith. Uh, kind of going back to Emily's point, I think that rationality can just be looped into experience. Like, I think that we forget how subjective the nature of rationality is like that's why we have lawyers suing each other like because you can make a case for just about anything given like and and everyone can be like logical and coherent and being pretty reasonable and like using like documents for their case basis like whether it's the constitution or like a contract or the Bible, like this is exactly why like there's so much theological disagreement, I think is because everyone is like, well, I'm being rational. And like we like associate rationality and reason with like the highest level of truth sometimes, mm. I think. And I, I think that's a cognitive mistake. Sure. So I could see an argument being made, <laughs> pun intended, for um, rationality just being looped into subjective experience. Well, now remember, remember for you true Methodists out there, uh, Wesley, Wesley really held scripture to the highest level of authority. This is true. Um, So tradition, experience and reason were kind of subject to scripture. Scripture was primary. And so and one of the things that Wesley actually now thinking about this, duh, um, when referring to like reason, Wesley was talking mainly about doctrine being able to be like defended rationally and that's where reason sort of comes in so it would be interesting to kind of expand like what wesley would think about expanding beyond just looking at doctrine um because i do josh i do think you are onto something where reason and experience can kind of just be smushed together but i don't know if wesley would entirely agree with that i don't know Mm. you know he he contended that 
part of the theological method in which we live is to involve experience um, and truth, you know, should be vivified in personal experience. But I don't think he was necessarily saying that, like, experience or faith needed to be defended or spoken by rationally. I think the fact that he just kind of focused on doctrine needing to be reasonable and looking at reason from that lens is important. There you go. Wow. Josh, you have me puzzling over now. Like we've gone straight to the heart of it. Maybe when we introduce like concept of subjectivity versus objectivity. Right. Cause right. I think what the age of enlightenment attempted to do was so previously to the enlightenment, as I understand it, the religious world, especially to like the Western, like the Catholic church, objective truth was given to us by the scriptures and by the church, right? So it had like some form of divine, like God made it this way, so therefore it is this way all the time. What the Age of Enlightenment seems to have done is try to move objectivity into like out of the realm of the divine and just into what is measurable. Like get the God out of objectivity, I guess. Mm. But then, then I just feel like postmodernism in a way is inevitable. Once, once God is removed from objectivity's prerequisites, right? And then the first person to realize like, oh, wow, I can manipulate this data or I can just like look at this data another way to tell me something different. I feel like subjectivity and almost like, I don't know. Yeah, maybe irrationality or like the death of reason, I guess, in postmodernity is inevitable because essentially it's like, well, we got the God out of objectivity and now objectivity is just what we can measure, what we can observe. But now two observers see two different things in the same object. I think I see what you're saying. I think I see what you're getting at. So maybe it's the church's turn to start. I don't know, maybe in the same way the church had to adapt to the orangish age of enlightenment, right? Like maybe it's time the church adapts to kind of the postmodern, maybe greenish, you know, speaking in spiral dynamics terms, like if if we're on the cusp of like the world elevating itself into green in a way, like does the church have to start speaking that language? And is that mm. language what you're calling irrationality? Actually, hold on. That's a really good point because I feel like I'm no expert on this, but I feel like part of the growth of apologetics in the late 70s to early aughts was partially in the context of like a bigger growth in like the search for scientific truth. Mm -hmm. Like there's been a ton of like scientific medical discoveries in the last 30 years. And it's partly. I think due to like the emphasis on STEM and just like the pursuit of like ultimate truth. I, that's what I see it as. Wow. Like we're not quite in like another age of enlightenment, but I think there's definitely been a shift at least in Western culture in the last, what, what is that for 50 years? Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like we're experiencing the next shift. I mean, like I'm, I'm thinking in the paradigm of spiral dynamics cause it seems to apply. It seems to fit right now mm -hmm. well and i can just see like people like 
trying to be really apologetics-y in response to the rest of the world, like feeling the need to be hyper-rational. Yes, right. And, and then like Christians feeling the pressure to say like, well, we are also rational. Totally. Like, and I can see like, apo- like an argument to be made for apologetics and those type of people in some ways like adopting their language and like reason of faith like to the current like dialogue of the time. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of I like your points even because I think that like you might be right. Like maybe we're kind of like shifting away from that culturally, like that need for like reason and a laid out argument. And like maybe we're feeling like less debatey these days and more likely to like value like someone's experience, whether it's a people group or an individual or yeah, yeah that's a, that's an interesting point. In particular, the people group, right? Because what I what I understand of spiral dynamics is like each color kind of alternates whether you know the culture will be individualistic or collectivistic. In you know, even if it's mm. a fifty one percent majority, right? Like red is very individual, blue is more like about the tribe. Orange gets us back to the individual, right? Which like very much fits the age of enlightenment in my mind, and then uh, the new urges i don't know the new call it seems like that we're we're thinking in terms of groups a lot more and that feels like that's been true of the last oh gosh 5 years 6 years oh, would you remind me what characterizes green it's been so long since i've been familiar with spiral dynamics so how i understand green i don't know man it's <laughs> imagine like the entire world goes from being like uh, science Mike in season one of the liturgists to who science Mike is now. And that's like orange. That's to, funny. That's orange okay. to green. <laughs> oh, okay. Fascinating. Fascinating. Okay. okay. I mean, I do think there's something to be said for that. Like regardless of whether or not someone thinks spiral dynamics is an efficient use of language or not. Yeah, like, sure. There's a reason that like American Westernized Christians have been like hyper obsessed with apologetics the last two or three decades and the majority of the world's Christians have not. Right. And then there's, then there are those of us who are like, I don't know. I would count the three of us in this stream of like accenting the experience part of religiosity. Right. And some form of being spiritual is about collecting ourselves into groups that meet, that are meaningful to us. And um, it's about the experience for us, right? Like, but I can also really appreciate using your noggin and like being thoughtful and yeah, well, like detail minded. Like, I don't think that ancient Jews used submarines to come over to America, like Mormon doctrine teaches from the Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm, like, I mm-hmm. don't think that's rational, right? And, and that's why I yeah. don't believe that. It's not at least in my mind that green would like abandon everything about orange, right? It's uh-huh. kind of like we're we're on our way to integrating everything. Right. And like Mm. the first integral stage in the future, right. Is posited to be yellow and then turquoise after that. So like yellow, especially being the place where it's like, ah, literally everything has a place up to here. Right. Mm. Beige, purple, red, blue, orange, green. Like these are all instincts. These are all things to lean into and like craft a society around because we need all of it. We can't just have one of it. Right. Mm, mm -hmm. And I feel like the critique of reason and you, Josh, at the beginning of this episode saying maybe faith should be irrational. 
is part of like what's happening in our culture to say like, yes, of course I agree that science is important. Like I love a vaccine too, Uh but there's also like, we should, we probably admit that there's something irrational about believing a guy rose from the dead. Maybe. Mm. Well, I think that's what also gets me is like, there's so much in the Christian narrative, like whether it's historical or like cultural that like is completely absurd. Like there's so much absurdity in Christianity. I'm not even talking about like biblical contradictions, but even just simple stuff like love your enemies. Like that's pretty (laughs) rational. But yeah, it goes Mm -hmm. against every one of our instincts. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what gets me about um, like Christians who really try to emphasize like apologetics or reason or rationality. And to be honest, I didn't like really see this dissonance for a while in myself. Mm. But I think there's like so much in what like Jesus talks about regarding the kingdom of heaven, let alone like the resurrection narratives that are just like almost unbelievable. Mm. We're going to take a quick break to say a few thank yous. Then we'll be back to our conversation. Thank you to our generous patrons for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Y'all are such a huge encouragement to us. If you'd like to support future episodes of Ravel, visit patreon.com slash ravelpod or by tapping the link in the show notes. Thank you to everyone who is giving five-star ratings and thoughtful reviews on Apple Podcasts and to everyone who contributes to our weekly discussions at RavelPod on Instagram and Twitter. And of course, much love to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music in full color. And thank you to the Highline Media Network for having us as one of their founding podcasts. Here's a quick preview of a recent episode from our sister show, The Whiskey Bench. Maybe the shift was, at the founding of America, people had a good sense of self. They knew who they were. And so they came to America to be the fullest version of who they knew they were because they had the freedom to do that. And now we're in a society where it's, you can become anything you want and people don't know who they are. Wow. So they can't express, they can't express the fullness of who they are because they haven't, they don't know, they what, don't it is. know what that is. Hmm. And now back to the conversation. Well, and I think too, there's, there's something that happened to biblical interpretation once, you know, if science can be interpreted literally, like we can speak of black holes as if they exist because they truly actually exist. Right. I wonder if the same interpretation tool was misapplied to something about the Bible. Right. So like my, my wife went to church this morning and the beginning of the sermon spent, according to her, a a good chunk of time before he started getting into like the, I don't know, application points or whatever, talking about like, why he believes that Jonah was a real person because Jesus talked about him as if he was real. Right. Mm. And like someone employing a tool of rationality would find that (laughs) to be like, to line up perfectly. And to me, like I hear an argument like that and I'm like, that's not even the point. Like, to me, I, I really don't care if Jonah was a historical person or a factual person, as rationality might tell me, or, like, at least there's a reason to believe that Jonah was real. But, like, to me, it kind of doesn't even matter. Like, I learn from the story either way. Like, I can speak of Frodo Baggins as if he was real. Right. 
because right. I can speak of the way that his like hero's journey mm-hmm. teaches me something about like fulfillment. Destroying the ring, he comes home to a fractured Shire because Saruman showed up and then he has to fight for it. And then after a few years, he still doesn't even feel at home. And it takes him like traveling with the ring bearers through the Grey Havens to like the Undying Lands to finally feel like I'm actually going home now, right? I can speak of Frodo Baggins as if he was real and I can tell parts of his story that as if he were real. I don't believe he was real. And so like maybe <laughs> somebody could make a rational argument just based on the text of me saying that. Like take the transcript of this episode of Ravel and be like, I don't know, man. Stephen was talking about Frodo Baggins as if he was real. Like there might mm-hmm. be a reason to believe that, but that's kind of not the point. And maybe that's like, it's not even we're struggling with should faith be rational or irrational. Maybe we're just saying like we're missing the point entirely if we have to pin it to one Mm. of those words. I really like that. And I think one thing that came up while you were sharing that example is what does that say about your faith? Like if you, if you have to share or, or explicitly say like, I believe this is real because this, this happened and -and so-and-so said this, like what would happen then if, you know, you found out that that didn't happen or that person didn't exist. What, like, can you imagine the trauma that that person would face like a faith crisis, essentially? Like, what does that say about your faith when you have to reason out everything? Wow. That is essentially faith wouldn't exist. Yeah. I mean, cause I cause spiritual emergency in my wife a few years ago when I told her, I, I think there's reason to believe that Noah doesn't exist. <laughs> right? Okay. Whoa. No, I'm just, I, no, I'm, I was just, you I was know, kidding. so like, I was kidding, Steven. yeah, of course. Like, and that's, <laughs> that's kind of the experience of deconstruction is like one thing mm-hmm. gets a hole poked in it. And then all of a sudden, like, well, the entire paradigm I built my whole house of theology on was rationality. I just realized and someone, I don't know. If you think about it, like just even looking at the belief in God or a God, that right there, like if we, if we were to find out like, oh yeah, by the way, like that, that doesn't exist. Could you imagine? Mm. Like, where would you be at right now? If someone had said, nope, here it is right here. The facts like God doesn't exist. Would you be okay with that? Nietzsche was right. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, if somebody showed me the facts as they as they stand and they were able to, like... Show me the car facts, yeah. Right. You know, if they were able to show me that, part of me would still... I mean, like, this gets down to even the subjective interpretation of objective facts is, like, I would look at that mm-hmm. and be like, that seems airtight, but I got to tell you, I've had three very unique spiritual experiences in my life that to me confirmed that I have a personal relationship with a personal and loving God. So like, right. I kind of, honestly, like statistically, if you ask most religious people why they believe what they believe, they will almost always quote experience of some sort. Yes. Yeah. And that's what I have. So Stephen would say he would be like challenging Wesley and would be like experience is the primary and everything else. Oh, I mean, I'm on record on Ravel saying that for sure. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Well, and we know from like scientific study that just being presented with facts is not enough 
for you to change your mind about something. Yeah, and then right. it's almost always like the experience of something or knowing that someone else experiences something wow. that actually changes your mind about something. Mm-hmm. Like there's these, uh, there's these famous studies. I cannot remember who does them, um, but there's these studies done where the, the findings ended up being that like people in their homes were surveyed and they were much more likely to express like positive concern or a uh, positive affirmation for gay people if they knew that the person in front of them was gay and was experiencing like problems in their community versus if the person in front of them going door to door only spoke about gay people as like a third other. Mm, yeah. Interesting. And there's like lots of famous studies about this. There's like, oh, there's one in particular that I'm thinking of that was like the first one, but this study, these types of studies have been like replicated over and over and over about like, it's almost like scientifically conclusive at this point that just showing people quote unquote objective facts and findings is just not enough for people to change their minds. Mm. Like if mm. we've learned anything from the pandemic, like that has just confirmed that again. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, oh man, I keep coming back to this phrase because like previous i don't know two or three years ago i used to listen to uh ben shapiro quite a lot and he used to he always says facts don't care about your feelings right and like i don't know why it's just occurring to me now but like also the corollary is true like my feelings don't care about your facts dude (gasps) oh mic drop yeah like (laughs) it takes experience of and to me I don't know. Uh, to me, a lot of the time, like the feelings are easier to, f- to follow because they are my lived like experience through my five physical senses, and who uh, who knows how many like through intuition and whatnot. However, other many senses we have that we haven't named, like my feelings are a lot more real to me than like very cold, uh, calculated and separate like separate facts. You know. Mm, mm-hmm. Um, I was looking up the study uh just to like see if I could find huh, what study I was thinking of <laughs> so that we had something to link to. Cause I think like I at the end of the day, I still think science and rationality is important. Mm-hmm. I'm just not sure what its relationship is to faith. But uh <laughs> turns out there's mixed results about this study that I was thinking of. Um I found oh. an interesting article from Vox, uh, we'll leave a link to it in the show notes. Basically, long story short is there's an original study and then later the researcher kind of admitted that he faked some of the results and then like there's been problems with replication. But then in a more recent study, um, it's been sort of re-replicated, but differently. So there's like, Mm. it was like specifically for the gay marriage issue, but there's been like other studies that have touched on this topic of like presenting people with just straight up facts or like not quite the right facts don't actually like change our rational opinions. Yeah. At mm-hmm. least immediately. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just like keep coming back to, I think that there is like an inherent cognitive dissonance in belief. Like whether you want to call it like a head and a heart thing or like, w- like whatever language you want to put to it. Like I, I think I still think that there has to be a part of you that like makes a jump from rationality Mm. that like feels that it must be true you sound like Kierkegaard right now (gasps) do I? 
Yes, I was just going to say that, Stephen. You okay, took the tell me more. I haven't actually read any Kierkegaard. Sorin, my friend Sorin. Emily. Take it away, Stephen. Oh, no, please. No, 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 no. You said it first, Stephen. I want to hear your knowledge of our good friend Kierkegaard, please. Man. I want to. Yes, I'm going to. Of course, I'm going to put you on the spot. Come on. But if I stole your thunder, I feel like I should give it back. No, don't. No. Okay. My thunder is yours to have. Okay. So, no, 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 please, please tell me how I'm smart. Please. <laughs> All right. Well, so the, uh, to, to be honest, I haven't read Kierkegaard <laughs> directly myself either, but I have been reading quite a few people who have and like, like to dis- dissect his work. Um, Jordan Peterson was one guy that I read a few years ago that likes to talk about Kierkegaard. And right now I'm reading Francis Schaeffer and like, what what I'm calling to is essentially Kierkegaard's foundational like concept of the leap of faith. Basically, is essentially his insistence that the leap of faith is like the only thing that gets us into um into living a meaningful life. And what so like I've been reading Schaefer, and Schaefer's problem with it is exactly the opposite of your problem, saying like Kierkegaard is off base, like because we're making an irrational leap of faith on something um, that eventually you just have to get to a, a point where you just like not based on reason, not based on really anything at all. It's just it feels convincing, so you go for it. Kierkegaard's leap of faith is problematic to some Christian apologists who say like, no, we actually have like historical evidence of Jesus. We have all these reasons to believe that Christianity is. The, the right way of showing up in the world, right? And these are the uh, all the reasons for that faith. So a lot of, well, so I guess Francis Schaeffer, he likes to say, no, I have biblical faith. I don't have Kierkegaard's leap of faith because I'm not just blindly jumping off a high point hoping something will catch me. Like I know something will catch me based on my reason uh, through the gospel and through the Bible. Emily, you must correct me where I need correcting now because I and I will where I will when it needs to be. <laughs> what? No, do it now. I'm done. No, you haven't said anything wrong. Like, oh, <laughs> all right. So one thing that's interesting, though, is like when we look at the leap of faith, according to Kierkegaard, it's involving this idea that the leap is made by faith. Does that make sense? Hmm. Can you say more? So it's like circular improving, like a logical fallacy. Oh, come on. on. Do you understand? No, say more. Say more. Are you saying that Soren Kierkegaard is terribly, terribly wrong because he was a proponent of circular reasoning and that that's what faith is or something? Yes. Yes. Oh, so wait, are you saying that Kierkegaard believed that faith is inherently circular? Yes. Oh. Well, I don't know if I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Yeah, because like, the, well, cause you know, the, hmm. the leap of faith is made by faith. So, you know, he's kind of essentially looking at we can turn towards things in order to think about that thing. And that's where skepticism can emerge. But thinking about itself like thinking about the thing never accomplishes anything. It yeah, he's basically wanting to look at how if you're going to take the leap of faith, you have to focus on the leap itself. Oh, man. 
Uh, I got to tell you, quick aside here, I'm so excited to hear what happens in the Discord after this episode because we have some smart people in our little group there. And I know Tyler and Jeff are going to have some thoughts. So yeah, they I'm just are throwing down the gauntlet for those two to hop in there. Um, wow. Okay. So like a chicken in the egg type faith, like which one comes first? Basic that. Yeah, that's my understanding. Okay. So then my mind immediately leaps to like, well, then something would have to like quicken you into, I guess, the first instance of faith in order to get the, I don't know, get the circle of faith running, like faith by faith kind of right. thing. And is that just Holy Spirit? Is that just like the gospel? Oh, I don't know. Maybe. Josh, where are you at? Where are you at with processing this? Um. Well, one of my thoughts is if that is an accurate depiction of Kierkegaard's view of faith, that it's like inherently circular, to me, that seems really like non-Western. And I'm not saying that's wrong, um, but that seems like, where was Kierkegaard in terms of like Age of Enlightenment? Where was he in relation? Oh, Everyone just always seems old to me. That's true. <laughs> that's true to me. Everyone is just old. Right. Um. So he was, you know, born 18, like 13-ish, 12, 13, and he died 1855. Yeah, you got it. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, a lot of people use like circular thought, like a logical fallacy, right? Like if you're just thinking in circles or you're defining in circles, like that's a logical fallacy, right? Right. And I think that people use that as an argument for lots of different types of theology. Like I've heard Calvinism, like quote unquote mm, deep sure. that, like circular reasoning, but like plenty of people just make that critique against Christianity at large anyway. Um, but maybe it's, I, I could see it being taught as a, like a, just a different mode of thinking about faith versus like thinking linearly. Like I, Stephen, I even feel like the, like thinking about God as implanting like a seed of faith kind of thing. Like I've heard people talk about that. Yeah. I feel like that still seems linear. Oh yeah, it certainly does. Yeah. So maybe I, hmm. If, does it help Josh, if I tell you that Kierkegaard is considered the father of existentialism? Oh, maybe. I do kind of like me some existentialism. Yeah. Do you? Yeah, man. And he was like, that's that's where he was coming from, basically in uh, a pretty harsh critique of guys like Hegel. So fascinating. Yeah. I kind of don't know like where else to puzzle with this because like I think that I'm still on my kick of like I think faith and agnosticism are like two sides of the same coin. Like I think you have mm. to have or somehow like faith has to be inherently agnostic. Like, I think I'm still like kind of treading that water a little bit. And I think that that's where these questions like kind of arose for me. Just to make sure my terms are clear. When you say agnostic, you, you mean in the classical sense that it's essentially like we don't know and we actually can't know. Yes. Okay. Mm, yeah, that's okay. correct. I don't, uh, yeah, I don't mean in the, I don't mean gnostic and I don't mean atheist even in like the classic sense sure i mean like i mean in the sense of like we actually can't know right and then the For attitude certain. of agnosticism kind of gets mapped into like open to anything right i mm -hmm. kind of i kind of view agnosticism agnosticism embodied just by like a shoulder shrug like but maybe that's what mm. Kierkegaard is getting at in that like we get to choose to leap beyond that Mm, yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah. 
Maybe our Kierkegaard scholars can tell us, yeah. Yeah, because from what I know of existentialism, that's kind of, I mean, that's kind of what it is, is basically like, go create the system by which to live by, because is there any other alternative? I don't know. Or I'm also reminded of, this isn't like exactly the same, but I'm I'm reminded of Lacan and Jacques Lacan and uh, Sigmund Freud and some of the other early like Freudian and Neo-Freudian psychoanalysts. Mm. And like at at the heart of psychoanalysm, that's not a word. It is now. What's the, what is the noun I'm trying to say? Oh my gosh. Did your brain ever do that? Thank you. Psychoanalysis. That's the word. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, At the heart of psychoanalysts. What? Psychoanalysis. Oh my god! It's the accent on the syllables, my friend. <laughs> um, at the heart of that discipline over there that Freud founded um, is the idea that, like, you yourself are self-contradicting, and you always will be. Mm. Like, there is contradiction mm-hmm. inside of yourself, whether you want to call it dualism or like the good and the bad or whatever. Mm-hmm. Freud just called it like self-contradiction. And it's always there. Like it's And inevitable. it will always be present. Like whatever you do to like get over your own hurdles or your own behavior, like there will always be like yourself bumping up against yourself. Mm. And I don't know, I'm just like reminded of that like in talking about like out, like how do you leap beyond your rationality? How do you like make sense of like faith somehow being cyclical or circular? Like I'm just reminded of uh, the self competition, the self contradicting nature that like neo Freudians would argue for. Sure. So I don't know. That's just kind of where my mind's at now. I don't really have like anywhere to go with it. Like I don't, I don't think I'm like arriving at a any certain conclusion yet. But maybe that's like my point in asking the question is like if I'm gonna believe that there's like an inherent unreasonableness to faith, then. I should just like constantly be thinking about it still. Is it feasible to think of like maybe instead of circular, man, I'm sorry to do this because this feels just like very cheesy, but like go for it. I've been speaking in spiral dynamics terms for a while. And like, is it possible that the, the cycle of a leap of faith by faith is instead of a circle, just like bringing you back to, the origin is it possibly it's is it possible it's spiraling into a different dimension you know like is it a self-perpetuating like i take a leap of faith by trusting that jesus christ is my lord and savior right and then the faith it takes to hold on to that sometimes feels like i just need to be like nope i still believe that's true even with however Mm -hmm. much evidence to the contrary and that faith that moment of faith in trial then encourages that faith as like maybe just a healthy coping coping mechanism like my my mind and my brain just learned that like that was beneficial to us in the long run and we experienced goodness on the other side of whatever trial that was so let's keep doing that faith thing and then we just spiral in that direction oh man you just reminded me of a a thing that someone told me forever ago this was like from one of my for a while he was like a youth leader and then like also a teacher for some classes and at the time, I, and even like in years since, I always thought of the way he put this as like, 
kind of like Pentecostally, like it has this air of passing the mantle kind of thing, which a lot of like charismatic mm. people love talking about. Yeah. He would always say that like my end point is your launch pad. Yes. Yes. Like, like I will only get so far in my faith and my journey and my my mystery and my ministry and like wherever I hand off the mantle to you is like where you just begin. Hmm. And I think that like, uh, I think that can only be applied so far, but like, I think it's kind of true in terms of like, um, whether it's the experience of a single church or society at large, like there is a self perpetuating cycle. Like even as people like fall in and out of church and Christianity, or even like, uh, even like an employer, like an employer is still like perpetuated forward by the people who are moving in and out of a working relationship. Like no mm. one stays in a job forever nowadays, but despite that, that workplace and that business is still propelled forward. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And I think the same can be said of like society at large. Uh, like, obviously that's like one perspective, right? Like some people think society's going downhill. <laughs> um, but I think it's also true of like Christianity and faith, like regardless of people like, falling in and out of faith or um, leaving the church. Like, I think, I think an argument could still be made for that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys have any, uh, any like closing ideas or like things you're reminded of as we're like starting to leave this conversation? I don't, not today. I feel very satisfied. I feel like I have new things to think about, but yeah, not that are any worth, things to reason through. Not that are <sighs> worth sharing right now. I guess you know they're just like the seeds of the idea, which ironically, I am just really glad that we uh, selected, or I guess was given this topic for um, no reason. <laughs> for for no reason, right? Well, uh, Emily, since you're back, um, do you have a a word for us as we uh, yeah. leave? I think I do. Uh, faith and reason, reason and faith, the relationship or the complementary element of the two is something that we are grappling with. And just know that your experiences matter and how you reason through your faith matters just as much. And it's something that we can all join into together. Welcome to The Whiskey Bench, where every week we discuss our modern world over a fresh cocktail. We start with three ounces of a favorite philosopher. Take your pick of Hobbes, Locke, or Rousseau. Next, we pour in a shot of modern discourse like Second Amendment policy or renewable energy. Sweeten with a dash of lighthearted conversation about salsa cereal or the private space industry. Shake with ice and strain with ideas about modern art or raw milk regulation. Garnish with intellectual humility and moderate optimism. Cheers. Highline Media Network. Normal people in normal places.